Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And we are here for the first cracker of the post-Jimmy uh, era. And I mean, the yeah. post-Jimmy era is only three episodes, so it's not like we're going to be here for a while. Yeah. Uh, right? But yeah. at the same time, you can tell. Well, here's, here's, was, I was thinking about this after I watched it last night. There's yeah. just two episodes. Each of them have only two episodes. Yeah. Cause there's two so, episodes and then there's another two episodes and then there's the movie, which is White Ghost. Yeah. And yes, the two hour White Ghost. And yeah. what I would say, right, is that, um, it is, so we've got six hours, but I looked at this and, and, and I watched it. You know, and it was a nice episode. It's, was it I, I'm going to say it. <laughs> it's a fine episode of Cracker. It's a fine episode. I think I think this guy who said Paul Abbott was fine. I'm going, well, yeah, but he's not Julian McGovern, right? But when I'm watching it, I'm going, okay, it's not like the in-between one, the messy one. This one is clear. Yep. Um, you know, and we're, and I think it, Probably is a little bit closer to the McGovern episodes. The McGovern episodes, in other words, that Paul Abbott has a better has a better handle um, on what it is that like who Cracker. the character fit, fits is and what makes up an episode of Cracker in a way yeah. that the guy who wrote that other one just didn't understand. Yeah, I agree you know? with you completely. Which is why I go back to my, I think he got thrown in at the last minute because <laughs> Jimmy McGovern was having a breakdown or something. Well, no, I, I don't think it was last minute. I think it, I think these discussions happened during season two because it's during season two that he said, I'm out of ideas. That's why they brought in that guy to write the middle one. And then they obviously made the deal with him that you get to do this two-parter. You know, but we have we need an episode from you in season three, but you'll get to do this two parter you desperately want to do, which, you know, we all know what that is. Uh, and so what I think happened was, right, this guy was brought in, I mean, not to write during season two, but he got the job to write, you know, three episodes of season three while season two was happening. And he probably had time to figure out what a cracker episode was. Yeah, and watch. You know, watch season one and saw what they were doing with season two. Yeah. So I think that there's a, there's a possibility of that. And there was yeah. time. That is my suspicion. Yeah. Whatever it is. I mean, definitely you don't have cracker, the cracker interviews work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's only one major one. There's a few other minor ones. Oh one. my God. That scene with the victim's husband. Oh, where he's just like going on all of the reasons a man would kill his wife. <laughs> and he looks at the guy's scar because he got this implant so he can't drink booze. Mm -hmm. So that's how devoted he is to his wife. And he like turns to his boss is like, I mean, I'm sorry I charged so hard. I thought he did it. Yeah. <laughs> God, so that was such a good scene. Such a good scene. Yeah, like. Yeah. And it was, you know, so cruel and they got the how, this is going to sound weird, 
it's it's an aspect that has turned up before, but it's never really at the forefront. And it's very subtle here that there is an extent to which, like, um, all of these profiles are just, you know, humans aren't that complicated. He is just pulling from a list of traits and motives and applying these things he's already known. He doesn't understand you. He just understands that people aren't complicated. See what I'm saying? Yeah, no, no, that that's but that's exactly it. It's just like sometimes you get um what was I thinking that we were watching? Oh, oh, okay. Now here's something totally unrelated. Okay. Right? Please. But I was watching I was watching um the Lily Tomlin um uh Steve Martin thing. All of me. All of me, right? Delightful movie, no notes. Where he goes in and he starts to rant on about his father being a barber and this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> and then he goes outside, right? And the guy and and his boss says, "I didn't know that about you." Oh, he said it wasn't true. <laughs> None of it was true. But you know, he figured this is what would get to her. Yeah. You know, and it is. Um, and that's all. In some ways, that's what. Cracker is doing. I mean, in some ways, it's what I do. Yeah. Like, I mean, I have situations and, and I can sit there and I can, it, sometimes people think it's magic. Well, how do you know that? Well, no, if you read enough and you learn enough about human beings and you read enough of these case studies of, for example, example, incest families. Yeah. Cause you see the patterns. There are patterns mm -hmm. and they may not like there are general patterns and there are specifics. And, and they're not going to uh, there. These incest families aren't going to fit all the specifics, but they are going to fit the general ones. That's why we call them that. And they're not going to fall far apart. Yeah. From the specific ones, the specifics when you start to when you start to drill in. Yeah. You're going right. to see those yeah. same incidents. You're going to see those same details in the relationships. And that's what Cracker's doing, right? Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. If, I mean, I'm going, okay, this is a patriarchal culture. Yeah. And he's so got I'll, this list of. Well, no, here, <laughs> here, 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 here are going to be the problems. Yeah. Here's the list why men kill their wives. Let's just run down the list and see what he reacts to. Yeah. And, you know? and yeah. And, and what he's looking for is the tell. That tells which one. Yeah. He's looking for the reaction from him. Yeah, so he knows where to dig in. And he's not getting any. So he just throws everything at the wall. And yeah. that's what makes it interesting. Because it's like and we're doing a apologize. bit of seeing behind the curtain. He does apologize. Yes. All right. But we are jumping way ahead. Because it's worth talking about the first one. And so I remembered this episode surprisingly well. Yeah, like so I was surprised. by, And the thing that blew my mind was that the, the two guys are John Sim and Liam Cunningham. Yeah. Like, both of these guys would go on to be ultra-famous. <laughs> you know, okay, Liam Cunningham had to wait until he got to be Davos on uh, on uh, Game of Thrones, but he's super famous now, and John Sim's been super famous since, you know, Life on Mars. And yeah. Doctor Who, like, everybody knows who John Sim is, so, yeah, I had no memory that it was the two of them, which yeah. is kind of amazing. And it took me forever to recognize Liam Cunningham, because, you know... He he's, looks so different. Well, he's 60 pounds heavier now, so he looks completely different. Yeah. You know, but. Yeah. But he's got the same voice. That's the thing. Yeah. And you he's can, got. Yeah. 
All right. So in order to contextualize the events of this episode, um, you have to understand something about England. And uh, how do I put this? Like people living in North America are familiar with the concept of homophobia and gay people being oppressed. And what a lot of them don't understand is how much worse it is in England. Especially at the time when this is set. Because yeah. we, we got into this mess over, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis's fascist don't say gay bills, right? And making it illegal to mention the existence of gay people in schools. And the thing is, and this has come up on the show before, that's, that was a thing in England from the 1980s to like 2012. It was illegal to acknowledge the existence of gay people in school. Like you couldn't do it. If you existed gay, uh, admitted that gay people existed, you'd be fired as a teacher, right? You, or at least reprimanded. If you were a gay teacher, you could get fired for being gay. Like we brought this up previously on the episode with the trans girl, Tim, right? Uh, that came up briefly. One We discussed it in, I think the very first one. Probably. I think you're right. Yeah. You know, we've, we've kind of discussed this. Like it's yeah. really weird in a country that has so many famous gay people. I know. <laughs> you know, they're so at the forefront of their culture. Is <laughs> all of these famous gay people, and they they hate so much though. It's crazy. Like it's really, but it's really weird. It's there. It's, but it, and it like part of me says it can't be class because yeah. some of these people weren't mm -hmm. didn't come weren't from the class where they were to some extent protected but i mean yeah. as we talked about already the bloomsbury group but let's mm -hmm. talk about oscar wilde everybody who yeah he spent time in jail but boy you know everybody knew lewis Carroll. Yeah. it was oh, hey he was by the way open secret that he was gay the man only went to jail because he was stupid enough to get involved with the son of a super rich guy yeah that's, That's all. the only reason Oscar Wilde went to jail. Everybody knew he was gay. Nobody made a big deal out of it. But he, quote unquote, seduced and corrupted the son of a super rich guy. So suddenly, you know, the <laughs> money is more important than social prominence you know. in England. And that's what it comes down to. Right. So, yeah, it's like it's so weird that they're so monstrously homophobic, but they really are. The laws are there. The culture is there. The hatred is there. And right now that that history of hatred is being levied against the trans community. Like that's like that whole tradition of disgust and hatred is what the trans community in the UK is dealing with right now. And it's nightmarish there, you know, but so that is why it is such a scandal for the Liam Cunningham character, right? Why he could never admit that he was gay, why he has had to live this sectioned off life, right? Because, it is not an option for him to be gay. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. In the world where he grew up, because, I mean, this character's in his 30s, so he was growing up in the 60s, the concept of being gay was not an option for him at all. There was not the same kind of gay liberation movement in the UK. Yeah, it was really was weird. In America. But it is weird, right? Stonewall... Yeah. In the States. And we had our own stone walls in Canada. Yep. Um, and it, 
mind you, that history was longer coming too. <laughs> yeah. Coming out, but it was there. I mean, in Toronto, mm-hmm. you know, Toronto, the good, as they always called it. Yeah. The um, one place gay people could run. And, you know, but you had, you had bathhouses and the rest of it. And yes, mm-hmm. we're also as in New York City. But they just went, no. And Canada then became the first. Once we switched, we became the first, I guess, the first country to legalize gay marriage. Yep. And um, and all of those things. And that was already happening massively in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, we're just were different, but it never seemed to hit. You look at the attempts. Go watch um, Pride again. The. um the the one that's set in the eighties, just at the beginning of the AIDS the AIDS yep. crisis crisis and, in the UK, and and you know these these sort of gay people deciding to support the miners against Margaret <laughs> Thatcher, right? Margaret Thatcher, yeah, um, you know, and it was it's it's a wonderful film, but it's, it's a beautiful story. You can just see the problems, and this one town in wales that came around but it was like one town in wales i know right <laughs> um and they went and marched at a gay march parade they brought in their band and everything else from wales into london <laughs> at the end right just, yeah just, you no know, it does have a happy ending of course <laughs> as right. hap as happy an ending is about being gay in england in the 80s can have during aids yeah know? during aids yes well because- honestly like and the thing about aids is and I mean, this some because AIDS. I hate to use such a simplistic term as under control, but it is to a certain extent under control right now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? AIDS could come back. It could mutate. I never want to say AIDS is over, right? But it is under control now. If you've got the money for the drugs, yeah. okay. So I'm not again. I'm not going to say it's universal, but it's like you look at the the strides that gay liberation was taking in the 1970s. And you just sit there and you have to imagine, oh, my God, the world we could have been living in if AIDS hadn't happened. Yeah. The world we could have been living in if AIDS hadn't happened and thrown people back into the closet and, you know, the gay plague and grid and all of this stuff. Like, oh, my God, it's just it's horrifying to think about. But anyway, so that is the water in which these characters are swimming. Yeah. Like, and how scandalous. And it's like, there is a moment in this where Fitz says uh, that you can talk to me and you better confess to me. You can't talk to a lawyer. You can't talk to any the cops because I'm the only one, essentially, he's saying anywhere who's not going to care that you're gay. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, that's- it's so crazy to hear him say that because this is 1996. Well, not only that, but this guy had a lawyer and the lawyer backed out. Exactly. Yeah, because he's gay. Because he's gay. Yeah. It's so crazy. But it's like, so yeah, like this episode can almost seem alien, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, and and it kind of blows me away. that just like 10 years after this episode was filmed, or maybe less, I guess a little less, you've got Tony Hill being shockingly supportive of the trans community. Right at the first episode of Wire in the Blood. Like, that's how far we are. Well, and that's, of course, one of Val McDarmard's books. Yeah, exactly. Who was moving this stuff forward, too. Yeah. Like, was she was really, definitely moving this stuff forward. Really pushing, because, like, it was 
the writer community. I'm, yep. It, it's all of these. She's got a gay cop and it's never mentioned. Like it never comes up that Paul is gay. Like, cause it doesn't matter. On it's the movie, there. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the thing. In the, it, she in gets the show. married. She gets, she gets married. In the books. Children. Like her, her partner is a doctor and yeah. it in the books. Yeah, but it's like it is 100% clear in the show yeah. that Paul is gay. Never like nobody makes a big deal out of it at all. It's completely casual. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm sure that is definitely coming from what's in the books. Yeah. Yeah, and just to see this and to see like the hatred that this guy, I mean, and it's clear what ha- what's happening. Like this kid is getting bullied at his job and the foreman steps in and they have that look. And you know exactly, and it's the gay, it's the recognizing each other look, you know, it's that moment, and that's all it takes. And then you see the the reaction of the landlady, and I'm not saying she did deserve to get stabbed to death, you know. She didn't deserve to get stabbed. I just said she didn't get deserve to get stabbed to death, but I was gonna say, but like the the horrible reaction she has. To the very concept of there being someone gay in her rooming house. Like how she's so disgusted by the idea and wants to throw them out. Just that instant. And and then she gets horribly stabbed to death. And it's it's just awful. Of course, the kid that does it. Yeah, the kid does it reflexively. And then to protect him... You know, Liam steps in and finishes her off because he was in the military and he knows what to do. Yeah. Oh. And now, like, as they say, everybody's everybody's fate is sealed at that moment. Like, and this is one of the things that I kind of have always loved about Cracker in that it's it's not these are not hard cases to solve. You know, but. Yeah. The limitations of the police are like always what is getting in the way of solving them quickly. You know? Well, both uh, both the legal limitations and the social and cultural limitations, cultural of, limitations the of the police. Yeah. The limited imaginations of the police are factoring in. Yeah. And oh my god, but yeah. And, oh, and it opens with Beck's funeral. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Beck goes to a funeral. We learn that he, uh, in a in a nice touch, we learn that he told everyone his sister was a nurse because he didn't want to uh, admit that his sister was a successful lawyer and seemed less less successful than his sister because that's very much who Jimmy Beck was. Oh, and she hears just enough of what Penn Halligan's up to. To suggest, to, like, figure out that something went real bad with Jimmy. And that's why he killed himself. Yeah. But she doesn't know what. Yeah. yeah. But something went real bad with Jimmy. And she, and Penhaligon, for her part, is getting drunk and demanding her promotion that she's been deserving for a while. Yeah. And getting to the point where she's like, man, if I have to blackmail you about... You know, my threat of revealing that one of your cops was a rapist to get my promotion. Fine. If that's what gets me my promotion, let's do it. She's come a long way. (laughs) Yes. Well, as I said, 
nobody is a nice person other than maybe as I, I'm getting to the point, like it's from the last episode. Well, maybe yeah. his brother is a nice guy. I think Fitz's brother is an okay guy. <laughs> I mean, I still think, I still think he was trapping Fitz by giving him a lot of cash, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I still think he is trying to do the right thing 99% of the time. <laughs> And, oh, my God, uh, Fitz's wife is suffering from severe postpartum depression. Although she says she's not. Yeah, but come on. Yeah. Like, they, the, she 100% says she suffered, and this isn't it. And it's like, you, you literally are being stressed out by the very concept about, of being near a crying child. Yeah. We know what this is. We know that this is, you know, postpartum depression. Yes. And she uh, but had it right. once before, so she's likely to ha- have it again, right? No exactly. Denies it. Because your, hom- your hormones do the same thing frequently in subsequent pregnancies. Yes. Like, it's not a surprise. Uh, but she vehemently denies it and is like just and screaming at Fitz God, and their running son him off. Is around. Oh, God, yeah. Mark's really stepping up. Yeah, he's really stepping up here, and so is Fitz's brother. The only person yeah. who isn't stepping up is Fitz. <laughs> no. Yeah. Because he uh he just loves his uh he just loves his work with the police too much. Yeah. And it, it He needs it. It, it he, he well, yes, I mean he's a complete narcissist. Well, no, and we get this, uh, we get this scene of him doing regular therapy with a regular therapy client at the start and seeing how, you know, crushingly bored he is by the process. Oh, yeah, he's, he's not, uh, he's not interested in anything that doesn't, um, charge him up. I would assume that there's got to be some level of bipolar disorder, I'm beginning to think, in there. Oh, absolutely. That he cannot tolerate. Yeah, he can't be bored for a second ever. You know, he has to yeah. keep moving, he has to keep doing something and that's which is which is an incredibly common trait among narcissists. Uh-huh. Is the inability to be bored. Like they just can't do like well no, I mean uh like uh sorry, not inability to. Of course they can be bored, but like the the to tolerate. inability to cope with boredom. They can't do it. Well, they can't just sit and not do anything. It's what I like somebody said, like I'm try try to explain sometimes things, and I'm going, but I never really, I never get bored. Yeah, me neither. It's there's always something. Yeah, there's always, and it's not like I'm rushing to, you know, activate myself. It's like no, I'll just you know, sit and I'll read, or I'll sit and I'll write something. It's like I'm never, uh, I never have a problem not being around. And by the way, that's the other thing: narcissists always need to be around other people. Well, because, because they need constant people, validation. Yeah. Well, other they, they I, there are so many of them that do not know who they are when they are yeah. not around other people. Yeah. Other people. They need these yeah. interactions to define themselves. Yes. Positively or negatively, they need the def, def the to be defined by their relationships with other people. Yeah. I, but just like yeah, if you want meet someone who just can't be alone at all, probably a narcissist. Like who is but, but very uncomfortable with quiet. That. I mean, we're doing, we're doing. We're not, we're not telling you to armchair diagnose all of your friends as narcissists <laughs> the way some podcasts will do. But no, we're just talking about well-known symptoms of the narcissistic personality disorder. And just we're using it because of how clearly Fitz suffers from all of these. 
Yeah. Like yeah. he has to be in, like he has, has to, to be, be around other people. And he has, has to be quote unquote triggering people all the time. And the center he has of attention. That's what oh, we yeah. call exactly he has to be the center of attention. Yeah. He needs to be the one controlling every situation he's in. Yeah. You know, and whatever he has to do. And it's right there in the first episode with him, you know, making such a fuss with the feminist professor. Yeah. Because he needs everyone. It's a noisy bar, you know, but he needs everyone to be paying attention to him. And it's like, that is so central to who he is as a person. And again, it's a show that has been incredibly confident about who its main character is right from the start. And it's part of what makes it such a great show. Because it is this unbelievably well-drawn portrait of this terrible man. You know what it was interesting, though? When I'm sitting here, now we've already spent, uh, what, 20 minutes talking about <laughs> things and not... It, it is that this is a very... It's an incredibly straightforward episode. A, an incredibly straightforward hour and a half or whatever yeah. it is. Two, two episodes, yeah. right? 47. It's it's 80-some 80, 80 minutes. Wow. Yeah, and it is... It is very horrible. I, yet, at, but we still spend that time with our killers. Yeah. Right? We see them. And, I mean, this horrible thing, if he didn't accidentally, and it isn't even a case of if the two of them had, hadn't met, because yeah. this would have happened. It just happens to be that they've met. But he runs into his mother, as he says. Yeah. His oh. family at a shopping mall. He sees them and that sets the young one off. Bill, I mean, he's yeah. 17. Yeah, he's 17. Uh, or almost. Oh, no, he turns 17 in a month. Yes. And then he's out of the system. He's out of the system. and But he sees the woman that was supposed to be his mother. Oh, Jesus. And if... This is the part that, by the way, stuck with me all these years. Yes, that was... No, I that was just horrible. It's so horrible. That, you want to talk about narcissists? That... that When she gives that speech about how no one wants a seven-year-old and how they wanted a baby and they asked, you know, social services to give them a baby and then when she got pregnant... Like they just sent him back. You're like they had already this, started oh. the adoption process. Yeah. He already knew he was going to be adopted. Yep, the paperwork was done, and then they asked for it back. Oh my god! You know, and now he's been and now he's been stalking them for the past ten years. Well, yeah, well, whose fault is that? Well, no, because they they he has been stalking. Oh, yeah, them. He's been phoning them and phoning them and phoning them on and off for all these years. But I guess but it's it, it's not like he knew where they lived. Yes, but he phoned them and they like they had to change their phone number a couple of times because he found it out. Yeah, you know, and so they have all of these things where he has been low key stalking them all this time and feeling empowered by this relationship with the other guy with Liam. When he sees them in the mall, he's finally ready to confront them. Because he's got someone supporting him in this. Oh. But that, like that poor that, that poor child. That poor child. Yeah. You know, and it's I mean, I guess that's the whole thing with this episode. That 
poor child, and then they kill him at the end. Oh, no. Stupid. Because, but we have seen this in Wire in the Blood. We have seen yep. this here in Wire in the Blood, stopping these stupid militarized cops. Yep. They are limited in, in their imagination. In yeah. But they, you know, somebody has to stop them yep. from pulling the trigger all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, as if somehow or another, in every hostage situation, for these guys, someone needs to get shot. They get called in, and they're supposed to kill. And yep. somebody has had to do this in Wire in the Blood. You know, mm-hmm. and I guess fits well. I mean, they haven't come across this. No, this hasn't come up. In fact, Fitz is like, hey, yeah. you know, you want me to walk into a house that's going to blow up? Fine. Guy's got a knife? Sure. I draw the line at getting near anyone with a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, smart. Smart. Yeah, very smart man. But he is able to go in. And I, I do like the, uh, well, the save my lawyer. He does. He cares. Yeah. When he hears this kid's story, he can't help but care. Yeah. That's the one thing that makes him less, he's not, you know. He's not a sociopath. He's a narcissist, but he's not a sociopath. That's the thing. He, hears, he can empathy, this, empathize. This story, these these people are so horrible. Yeah. You know, never, ever giving a thought to what they were doing. No. To a child. And of course, the problem is, is the child ultimately would the one thing that she says that's true. Well, it would have been different. I couldn't have not treated him differently. Yeah. Well, you know what? Spoiler alert. You treat eight-year-olds differently than you treat babies anyway. Yeah. Like, the difference in age is so big. Why can't you wouldn't, integrate He it? wouldn't have noticed. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and then she goes, yeah, but, you know, he, he didn't like change. Well... He didn't like change. So let's send him to a series of foster homes and group homes. Yes. Constantly having to be near new people. Jesus. All All of her rationalizations. Yeah. All of these stupid. And you just want to take her and throw her (laughs) out the window. And Fitz's reaction that it's like you, you had what you really wanted. So you didn't need the substitute anymore. Jesus Christ. And then they don't oh. like it when somebody tells them home truths. Nope. You know? No, it hits too close. You're right. It hits too close to home. Yeah. And I think I think the problem was is that that was the same thing with the with the social worker. Yeah. Right? Oh, absolutely. He should have been dealing with this very, very differently. Oh, completely differently. But um But they I mean the social worker decided this kid. Yeah. He really did. Uh, but treated this kid, you know, like he was definitely trouble. Like, and it's like, no, this kid was a victim. He is their victim. Yes. He is. He was emotionally manipulated by this couple and betrayed in the most severe way a child can be depra- uh, betrayed. Yeah. Because he lost his parents, and we don't really know the details of that for whatever reason. Yeah. And he got told he had a new family and then it was taken away from him. And everyone treated him like he was the problem. Exactly. So how could he not turn out like this? Oh, 
wants God. justice and he can't get it. And that, and, but you're right. And the social worker who acts like it's all his problem and all his fault. Again, I'm not saying he deserved to get stabbed. He didn't deserve to get stabbed. Killed. No. And killed or anything. But God. What a, what a frigging nightmare. Oh my God. What a frigging nightmare this episode is. Yeah. And it does, I mean, it does a good job. And meanwhile, um, the, one of the new cops interviewed Liam and saw Bill there and dismisses the idea that this is a guy and his son. So that, and since they've already got, and see, this isn't the same as the Jimmy Beck situation at all, where Albie exactly physically resembled yeah. the guy. They think they've got the killer. They think the husband did it and they're just looking for witnesses. Yeah. They're not looking for potential suspects. Yeah. Right. And unlike Albie, he went back the next day to check and Liam Cunningham almost kills the guy. Yes. But you know, ooh, that was, that was, that, a, that was a tense scene. Yeah. No, it um, was. I'm just going, oh, she's But <laughs> Penhaligon decides to confront him with the fact that he let the guy go and he admits that he was wrong. And he reveals something, which is that he's the one who went through Jimmy Beck's flat and Jimmy had a diary that says all of the bad stuff he did. And I did like the note that he was wanted to give it to her, but had no idea how to broach the subject. Yeah. So he put it in an envelope with her initials on it and it was in his locker. Yeah. (laughs) And now... And it's like, and he's clear that I'm not you. And what I love is because he's trying to do the right thing because he's read Jimmy Beck's diary and he knows how wrong cops can go. That he's like, I'm not trying to like extort you to help me out on this. Here's my locker key. You go get it now. Right. But she does. She does keep the guy out of it. She keeps the guy out of trouble because here's what was going to happen. Right. The guy really did nothing wrong. It was not the same thing with as it was with Albie. They, no, it wasn't. They didn't suspect any of the borders, um, no. you know, and, and the guy said it was his son and that was, you know, and so, and it, what the hell. Um, mm-hmm. And, but because of the massive mistake that Jimmy Beck did, every other cop is going to pay for it. Yep. Right. So the fact that it could it could derail his entire career. It could derail his entire career, even though it really and Penn Halligan is wrong to, from my perspective, to kind of confront him on that yeah. somehow. Well, no, she. But to be fair, she only confronts him because she sees him trying to get yeah. the the, the new constable, guy. yeah, to confess for him. She sees him doing what Jimmy Beck did and trying to get people to cover for yeah. him. Yeah. And so she steps in. Yeah. And he realizes that he's wrong and she keeps him out of it. And I do like the cop. And he's like, I've screwed up before. I can't screw up again. It'll derail my career. And the cop is like, I'm black. Anything I do is going to screw up my career. I can't have any mistakes. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's, it's a really good look moment. Me. Look at me. Mm-hmm. I, no, it's I a fantastic moment. The I, I became scene. a cop. I know. It's so good. Uh, but yeah, like that's, that's right there. Like the show is so clear eyed about this stuff, even when it's not taking its extra time. And I think, I think that's the difference between, and this is what I I liked about this episode and why I think the writer did such a good job 
is the difference between a bad episode of this is and a good episode is understanding that you can't skimp on time spent with the killers and understanding the killers. Yes. And that's what the cult episode did wrong. Yes. Like, yeah, we spent some time with the killers, but we, at the end of that episode, had really no good idea of about any of these relationships. Yeah. Like, or what any of this meant. No, we just got told. Whereas this episode, we sacrifice yeah. time spent with Fitz and his family. Yeah. Like, that is what is lost with this only being two hours. We sacrifice time spent with Fitz and his family, but we get all of the stuff we need with the killers. And that's what I think makes this a good episode. And I think to some extent, um, we can we can fill in the blanks on what's going on with Fitz and his family. Oh, my God. Can we ever? Yeah. The fact that we have to see his brother carrying the baby around yeah. and bringing the baby to the station. And <laughs> we know what's happening off camera. Because <laughs> you know, Fitz isn't doing what no. he, you know. Oh, yeah. No, he's all. And then, I mean, that whole horrible thing when she says when when you know the brother says yes she's she's seeing a divorce lawyer yep and um and you know Fitz just laughs it off ah she's done that before she'll come back Jesus Fitz well and the problem is you know the problem is is that he's gotten so used to her always coming back yep and that this, yeah. for whatever reason the only reason she came back this time was because she was pregnant. Was because she was pregnant, and now look how that's going. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Fitz, she's taken her for granted for so long. Yeah, he just oh, she's always going to be there, and she'll always show up, and she's always going to put up with him, and it doesn't matter that quote unquote she he is in love with Penhaligon. Nope. Uh, and, and he doesn't seem to even see that as, or, I mean, he, what, he convinces himself he's in love with Penn Halligan? So far, she's smarter about it. No, oh, I yeah. don't want to see it. Yeah. And, uh. Except when she's drunk. Well, yes. You know. Well, yeah, but, you know, that's just, that's what alcohol does to people. Yes, that's why, you know. Yeah. Can't trust yourself when you're drinking. That's just the rule. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it really is a stellar episode in a lot of ways. It doesn't have that extra level, you know, that the last two episodes had of getting unbelievably deep. Because let's face it, it does not get as deep into the, the situation uh, of homosexuality in the UK. Yeah. This is not... This episode is not an attack on how homosexuals are attacked. Sorry, are treated in the UK. Like the last two episodes were about misogyny. Yeah. And they were this unbelievably intense attack on misogyny. Yeah. In the same way that the one about Albie is a very clear this is what this is about. Yeah. That there is this whole group of working class people who have been abandoned and see themselves as having no choice but to become right-wing monsters. Right? Because no one is listening to them, yeah. and no one is taking their concerns seriously. Not, and not this episode... Yeah, so it's like the whole second season and into the first episode of the third season 
it is message television at its most intense. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it is Quincy level message television. <laughs> if Quincy was an unbelievably well-written show, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, that is how, and that is the one, my big mark against this episode. A, I could have used with more Fitz's family stuff, but I know you got to cut somewhere and I'm glad the killers are as well-rounded as they are. But it doesn't take the opportunity to get deeper into the homophobia and the oppression of gay people in the UK. Yeah. Well, it was, I, I think that here, here is the point. If I was to say why it didn't do that, it only had two episodes. Yeah. Okay. I think you're and right. And it had to make a choice between getting into, we got enough of the homophobia. We yeah. got enough of it. And it would have been enough, I think, in the 90s for the audience to understand yeah. what was going on. And but the child welfare stuff, you had to. Oh, you, yeah. you had the choice was between dealing with what happened to that little boy when he was eight years old. Yeah, because that is what explains everything that happens thereafter. Yeah, right. But the thing is, like, if you get further into the homophobia, we we understand why Liam has been so desperate for a connection. Yes. To, for for his entire yes. life and he's never been allowed by this entire culture to have a connection to uh, publicly love why him saying that he loves bill is this seismic moment yeah and it is a seismic moment for him and then they kill him and then they kill bill jesus christ that ending and I mean, it ends with him weeping over Bill's body. The show understands how big this moment yeah. is. I just, I wish, and this again, you're right that you had to talk about the child welfare stuff and that stuff is fantastic. But it's like, if the show had had the time to just say, yes, this is, this is what this man has been turned into by the society that wouldn't let him be himself. Okay. And what I, I just, would say is that one of the, one of the reasons it's not a three our yeah. a three episode three episode arc, arc as opposed to a two episode arc is the disaster of the three episode arc in season two <laughs> that's true they probably don't want to trust another writer with three episodes no because i i'm sure that they knew that that was a disaster oh they had yeah, to that that there was something radically wrong with it that you were missing yeah. so much and um mm -hmm. And so, therefore, I suspect Paul Abbott was told, don't get Fitz wrong. Yeah. Because I And so he just, you're right. He probably just drilled down. Here's the important stuff. Here's what I can make work. And he just, he just did exactly what he had. Yeah, because I, because I think that certainly Jimmy McGovern would have said, what the hell yeah. were you doing to Fitz? <laughs> In that second. Oh, my God. I mean, that, that, that. that that second arc in uh, season two was yeah. Disaster. It's just such trash. It is. It's just trash. When you see that someone can do yeah. When you see Paul Abbott come in, and it's like again, whatever my feelings about uh, you know touching evil are, and I don't think it's a great show. I never said Paul Abbott wasn't a very good writer. I mean, he's a he's he's competent, and this is difficult. This I think. Cracker was a very difficult concept 
this is before wire in the blood. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. think that they don't sort of deal with it all that much. But it is there that the idea of having a psychiatrist around, particularly in that first season, right? Yeah. With with um Burn Burnberry. Um yeah. Bainberry, uh and his and you know, and yeah. none of them want to trust this guy except for Penn Halligan. Um mm-hmm. and because it's so radically new. Mm-hmm. And you know, so but then they did wire in the blood. So what the hell? Well, no. And I think that, I mean, and we may, you know, we may load up touching evil at some point. Uh, but one of the things that I always tacked on touching evil is I really felt that it wallowed too much in its awfulness. Mm-hmm. And I felt that it fundamentally lacked any humanity mm-hmm. in a way that, uh, what do you call right? In a way that this show is never short of. Yeah. And Wire in the Blood is extremely never short yeah. of. Like, it it never loses its humanity and its kindness, I think, at all. And that's always at the heart of this show. The understanding that this show offers everyone makes it feel unique. And I don't know. the. I mean, I find it a little weird that the same guy who wrote this could write Touching Evil, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I haven't. I don't think i've ever seen touching evil like i keep thinking about it and i'm going i knew it was there i don't think i've seen it so i can't really comment mm-hmm. on, on that. Okay. i do think that this because you get the scene of fits with the mother yeah and you and you get the scene with fits yeah um liam cunningham oh which is so which is just such a powerful scene. So from beginning to, you know, that whole, the mm-hmm. whole relationship that he's building there and Fitz then does, is willing to go with him. And yep. Fitz couldn't care less. And probably it's the first time in his life this man has ever met somebody who didn't care <laughs> less what his sexuality was. Yep. You know. And that's, that's all. I mean, and the, the, that Liam Cunning is so desperate for connection. That it's like he's able to open up to yeah. Fitz. Well, what I mean, and and it does deal sort of with it because Fitz pushes him and goes, "Yes, but you know all those guys." In the- how did you ever wonder how they always knew you were gay? All the guys who picked fights with you in the army. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. They call it gaydar. <laughs> It takes one to know it one. Takes one to know one, right? Like, why did like, how did they notice you looking? Is what he asks yeah. him. It's because they were looking to. Yeah, and then you end up getting into fights instead of instead of just having a relationship, yeah. but then having to hide. I mean, let's face it: the military was the worst place in the world to go. Oh yeah, absolutely. better off in the Catholic Church. <laughs> you know, I mean. Jeez. I know. I mean, I, I, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of men mm-hmm. who went into the church because that was the, and the same thing with women who went into the convent because that was the only way you could, uh, yeah, not be forced into heterosexual relationships. Yep. 
And also, you would be surrounded by a lot of other gay people. Yeah, it, <laughs> it just worked out that way. Yeah, you know, and even if even if sexuality wasn't physical, sexuality wasn't on the. Sometimes it was, but a lot. sometimes they <laughs> don't tell me that it wasn't. Don't tell me completely. that it wasn't, and then. It, I, I I got some drawings of monks you might yeah, want to yeah, see. Yeah, don't know <laughs> some historical yeah, files you know, of the drawing monks made about their own activities. Well, that might argue. Well, it is very interesting that it it is the one. It, it, it talk I gave I had my students watch mm-hmm. Margarita Ventrada's Hildegard Vision, you know, from the life of Hildegard to begin. And it is the right. one thing none of my students saw was, but don't you understand? You know, there's Hildegard von Mingen being very, very upset that Ricardus um, has to leave and uh, then ends up killing herself, essentially, yeah. when she becomes the an abbess, right, of a convent. Mm-hmm. And, and the rest of it, not one of my students brought up. It's really, they wanted me to use the term sex worker and not prostitute. I asked them. Good. We talked about this in class. I said, not one of them brought up the fact that this was probably, probably not that we know it, (laughs) but there was the possibility that this was a homosexual relationship between this young girl who goes as madly in love for God's sake with Hildegard von um, And yeah. no, Hildegard says, she's my daughter. You can't take my daughter away from me. Well, okay, talk about denial. But Margareta von Trotter doesn't deal with that at all. Like, like it, it, I can see why the students might not have seen it if I'd had one or two, mm-hmm. possibly they're all straight in my class, in that class. <laughs> not in my, not in my, uh, not in my other classes, but yeah. maybe it was just fundamentally. I had a lot. I had some foreign students. Maybe yeah. I didn't know, but and if I did, nobody was going to bring up the possibility. It was very strange. That, that Interesting. Was really strange. Well, there, I think that there, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of them were raised in Roman Catholic schools. Ah, okay. as well like it's 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 kind of weird there's this idea somehow or another that roman catholic schools are um better than public schools they're more restrictive and yeah. all of this idea that somehow or another you know they're going to get a better education let me tell you as a uh, yeah uh spoiler alert they don't hire the best teachers either. they might be stricter uh, but stricting, strict behavior control does not correlate no. to the quality no, of the education. The worst problem we have turns in terms of high schools is in the Catholic high school. What? The kids who are constantly having the, you know, people's boots on their neck want to act out more? Who could have possibly guessed or predicted that? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Oh, but really, it's the most obvious thing in the world. They've been affected by, never mind, I don't even want to, because they, well, no, it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> going, yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, there's a lot of things you didn't learn, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, no. 
Oh yeah, there's there's no association between bad kids and Catholic uniforms. No, not at all. That's that's never existed. It's no, <laughs> in it, yes, and kids in restrictive schools. It's, yeah, it's just it's like a cliche. But people people see the uniforms and they think, oh, those kids must be well behaved. They wear uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you poor ask, naive ask dopes. Me when St. Mary's used to be a block away from my house. I mean, yeah, how good I'll those tell kids you were. That there's no graffiti and there's no homophobic graffiti floating around this neighborhood since they sent Mary's closed the since they closed the Catholic since they closed school. the Catholic high school. They used to all go. go down to the the mall, right? And they used to go by our, uh, down our street. Yep. And, and <laughs> of course, in the alley, they would spray paint on mine some of the stuff that got. Yep. Spray painted on the house next door to me, on the other yeah. side of the alley. I mean, sometimes. I mean, one day I came home and there was my neighbor scrubbing off some stuff that had been spray painted on my Oof. on on the wall of my house. Yeah, you uh, you don't want to. People, pro tip: if you're ever shopping for a house or an apartment, don't live on an alley. <laughs> Unless you get a real tall fence entirely around your house, don't live on an. But alley. even then, the, you're not going to well, be happy. It doesn't matter the side. It's the side of the house, and I will tell you that we have our. You know, um, they haven't seemed to have come back now. The outlaws, of course, were down at the end at the next block, right? They never had mm. problems like that with with the outlaws and their clientele. <laughs> Either, oh no, no. Well, no, the bi uh, the bikers don't want to make a fuss. They want to sell their meth in peace. There's no money in making a fuss. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, children aren't trying to turn a profit. They're just acting out because they go to Catholic well, school. And, and remember that in Roman Catholicism, the Pope has now come out and said that homosexuality isn't a crime, but it's still a sin. Mm -hmm. I know, so, right? Geez. Well, okay. Excellent half measure yeah, there. Well, Pope. One, of, one of my one of my students said, "Well, I think he's trying." She's Catholic, right? I think he's just <laughs> trying slowly to change people's minds. <laughs> well, yes, but he's also yeah. going to be dying soon. Somebody else will take over, and all the good he yeah. has done could be wiped out with one puff of smoke, yeah. white smoke. Yeah. yeah, that and that. By the way, like. I say about how much more homophobic England is than America, and to a certain extent that's true. But then again, you do have, like, that American bishop who's like, oh, well, if the Pope's not going to be anti-gay enough, then I guess I'm the Pope now. <laughs> Just going out and saying, no, we don't have to obey what the Pope says. We're giving up all of this whole papal infallibility if he says one thing about how gay people aren't that bad. Like, oh, so you guys were just pretending the whole time. You never believed any of this stuff. It was all just a trick to let to uh, legitimize all of your own homophobia. Cool. Good to know. Good to know. Well, yes, but I'm sure he's an Opus Dei bishop. You know, he is an Opus Dei guy. Of course he is. Oh, the church is in schism. I know. And Francis is <sighs> walking a friggin' fine line. Um, Mm -hmm. But what the hell, you know, and 
No, he's got to. I mean, you got to do something. He's trying. He's trying. But it's like the idea that like, and this is like literally possible that the American Catholics could like divide themselves off and have an American Catholicism that exists only to be super against gay people. Well, no, 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 that won't, and abortion? that won't happen because there's lots of, lots of them. There's lots of those Catholics. They're oh, everywhere yeah. in the world. Once hmm. John Paul II made Opus Dei a formal, formal, yeah. um, what's the word branch for lack okay, of a better we'll word branch, a formal, we'll use branch. A, a formal just like the dominicans just like the franciscans just yeah. like they became the jesuits everything else mm-hmm. i mean the jesuits are only the only ones that i know of so far in canada and probably in the world that has actually created a list of all of their suspected priests the ones that they knew for sure the suspects the the cases where they, what parishes yeah. they were in, what years they were there. Oh, that's fantastic! But that's the only. That's so good the to only, hear. The Jesuits, you know, sometimes learn from their mistakes. Yeah, um, it's good to know. But it is, and they hey hey they have good colleges. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the Jesuits have good colleges. So maybe I'm just saying, maybe their dedication to education has some other positive things, you know? Maybe it taught them humanity in a way that the Franciscans didn't, you know, cloistering themselves off. Well, yes, and the Dominicans. But the Dominicans were, and the Oblates and the Christian Brothers and all Mm -hmm. the rest of it, they uh, at the forefront of colonization and abuse. Jesuits were, you know, they were also, but uh, never mind. Never mind. You're getting off the topic, except that all these people are freaking Catholic. Because Jim They are. Catholic. It's oh, of course he's Catholic. Come on. <laughs> the amount of shots the Catholicism has taken in this yeah. show. That looks obscene what you're doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Dan Dan is playing uh, a game on his Xbox right I know. now. I am. It's true. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just funny, right? They are they are like he is absolutely oh, yes, of course. like there's no question that this man grew up in the system. Come on, of course he did. He he could not write about it. No, he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't he create did. Cracker as this ex-Catholic and with yeah. the, a massive bone to pick and an atheist and everything else, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's that's all coming. St- well, no, but I mean, all of the reading we've done about Jimmy McGovern is just like, yeah, no, everything Fitz says is Jimmy yeah. McGovern. That's just his real opinion. Yeah. Oh my god, but yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. I was I was dreading the post Jimmy McGovern yeah. episodes. I really was. And this is just a good two hours of yeah. television. You know, it's a good two parter. Like the the emotions are there, the plot feels right. I mean, it wouldn't be an episode of Cracker if the cops weren't behind and not really thinking things yeah. through, and the cops weren't screwing up really badly and getting people hurt, which is exactly how yeah. it ends. Bill tries to turn over a hand over the gun, and the cops can't see what's happening, so they yeah. shoot him. Oh, Jesus! Yeah, it was. 
it's it's, it's a sad it's episode, good. but it is it is not the gut wrencher that the last uh, three arcs of Jimmy McGovern were. It is it is is weird to live in a world where we can say that an episode of Cracker was a relief, Uh, but it kind of was after that last episode, episode, which was just draining. Um, This is it really was. The situation is clear. You know that the system has failed these people because that's what even that's what McGovern's brand is the system has failed all of these people and you have to fix the system because this is what it is doing to people now i mean and the system people listen no not necessarily but it's nice that somebody's saying it oh yeah it absolutely is oh my god yeah and i guess just you know now i'm thinking back about tim and it's like God, if only, if only Jimmy McGovern could come back and take on the turf community, you know? Oh my God. Uh, Jimmy, if only you could come back, that would, that would, that would be something to watch. Just saying. I know it can't happen for a lot of reasons. One of which is that Robbie Coltrane is no longer alive, but you know, that that would be my (laughs) fantasy. Oh my God. Would that be something else? It's so crazy. You know, uh, so there was an entire generation of kids that came after me, right? The next generation on the millennials. I'm, I'm the youngest of the millennial generation, you know, cause I'm in that mid range between gen X and millennials. So they just say older millennial. Uh, but anyway, there's this whole next generation after me who grew up on the show, uh, the millennials and to a certain extent, the zoomers who grew up on the show, that 70s show, right? I never saw it. And why would you like, we were both adults when the sitcom, that 70s show happened. But the point is the lovably irascible father on that show, who was constantly calling his son an idiot was played by Kurtwood Smith. Yes. Now for anyone <laughs> older, for my age and older, Kurtwood Smith had a definitive part. Robocop! And that that part was Clarence Boddicker in Robocop. (laughs) Evil! And it's like, he is a villain in an as iconic a villain as Hans Mm -hmm. Gruber. Like, as iconic an 80s villain as Hans Gruber. And so we had this great thing where a whole generation of these kids grew up you know, with this guy from this sitcom and then they all found out about RoboCop and it blew yes. their minds. And I I hate to say it, but wouldn't it be delightful for the whole generation and a half that came up on Harry Potter yeah. movies <laughs> to discover yeah, Cracker? Oh my God. <laughs> That'd be wonderful, right? Because I think by the time we get to the end of this, We'll say that this is the most important role of this man's career. Oh, I career. think it is. I, I, yes. Not even by the time we get to the end of this. Just... We're already re- willing to say yeah. that. Well, it's just so funny to say, because it's like you read the the trivia about it. And it's like, no, Jimmy McGovern wanted a guy, you know, a, a wiry yeah. Irishman. You know, a wiry, constantly twitchy, moving, smoke, chain-smoking, jittery Irishman to play the part. And he got... Robbie Coltrane, a man who up until that point had only been known 
as one of you know the UK's most popular comedic actors. Yeah, and it is it is funny because they they talked him into it, and then once he saw Coltrane, he just said, "Yeah, I mean, when we saw, yeah, I had been I wrong. wrong. I had been wrong in my conception yep. of this character because the fact that he is a is this overweight guy, it it established that he he indulges his senses, all of them, all the time." Yeah. Right. He is a he he lives a very God, what's the word I'm looking for when you only focus on. Uh, 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 th- there's a word for it. Not, at, no, not there is. it doesn't start with an E. It starts with an H. Yeah. Hedonistic. Hedonistic. He is a, he is a hedonist in every. Yeah. He is a hedonist in every way. He only cares moment to moment about personal pleasure. And of course, you end up looking like Robbie Coltrane. If that's how yeah. you live your life, you know, and it's such, it's such a good piece of casting. It is such a fantastic yeah, piece of casting. Because the visual tells you already something you need to know about the character. Huge amounts. Well, uh, and here's a funny story. Apparently they wanted to recreate that visual exactly. So do you know who they went to first for American Cracker? Uh, no. James yeah. Gandolfini. Oh, yes. You mentioned that before. Yeah. Well, yeah, it makes, yeah, sense, it makes right? sense, but yeah. Gandolfini was. Oh, no, um, it was before yeah. uh, The Sopranos. So, that, I mean, if he had wanted to do it, he would have done it, but for whatever reason. Uh, speaking of, as we wrap up this episode, which is this is the perfect place to do it. We've now been rambling for about 20 minutes about religion. So, I mean, if you listen to this show, you can't be surprised that we ended up rambling for 20 minutes about religion, because that's where this all ends up. But uh, one of the fun parts about Cracker for us is that unlike Criminal Minds, where we have to explain how it's really about religion, <laughs> Cracker understands that it's really all about religion. <laughs> you know, uh, you don't you don't need the subtext on Cracker. It's yeah. the text. <laughs> Especially last week. Oh, my God. Uh, but anyway, the big thing, though, is, you know what I just found out what? we can get? If we want to, and I'm not saying we have to do this, but we might have to do this. You just go on YouTube and buy American Cracker. It's all there, DVD quality. You just buy the whole season of American. Oh, Cracker so we can, so we can criminal minds again. Yeah, I thought it was going to be hard to track down. I like we can do Korean criminal minds with American Cracker. Uh, no, we'll do. Well, no, yeah. no, yes, we can, we can do it like it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, like we did with Korean Criminal Minds. Yes, That's but what, what I was like, no, just no. take a what look I at was how saying they is that I suspect we are going to have to Criminal Minds it. Oh, do no, two no. or three a week? Obviously, no, no, yeah, no, no. Oh, what do you mean? No, we're probably going to be ripping it apart. Oh, I didn't understand how you meant Criminal Minds. So, yeah, <laughs> of course we are. They're going to be cramming all of these, like, because I've looked at the titles and some of them are remakes, and they're going to be cra- like, you know. Uh, cramming, you know, Jimmy McGovern three-hour plots into forty-four minutes, you know, of television. Well, okay, it's going to be a oh, disaster. Good. So this this will give us something to hate watch. Oh yeah, and the fun <laughs> part is apparently the first episode I think is a two-parter, and it's the episode. It's a remake of what we're going to be covering next ah, week. Ah, true. Yeah, the one about Fitz's yeah, stalker. True, true, true romance, romance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, that should be very interesting. And uh, oh, Fitz is yeah, well. We'll get there, <laughs> as you we'll usually get there. say. And oh, famous actor Josh Hartnett plays his son Woo! in the uh, the American one. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Uh, so that's <laughs> going to be that. Uh, I like I said, I was I was worried this was going to go badly, but honestly, it was fine. Like, was it was it the last three episodes? No, but nothing you know, could be. What could be? Yeah. I like that again in my head. I have completely erased the existence of the yes, episode. It's the last, the <laughs> last three arcs. Basically, are one, yeah. one storyline yeah. straight through. Yeah, because if you look at the cult one, there's not even that much development on what's going on with Jimmy Beck, other than you know him starting to try and be there for the wife and kid. <laughs> And uh, all of the other cops finding out that he's the one who got yeah. Bainborough killed. But it's like you can do that. There's a little bit of that in the cult episode, but not a ton. Like, again, everything from Alfie to Jimmy Beck's death is one giant yeah. story. Arc. And you can just pull out the uh, cult one. You pull out the cult one and you barely miss anything. Oh. All right. Uh, so if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you'd like us to check out, please drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, if you're listening to this on an app or podcatcher, please rate and review it. That's how people find out about the show. I mean, the real way to have people find out about the show is to pay them to promote it. But uh, we don't do that. So we need yes, your help. We don't even have a, 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 a what's its face? A, um, a pet. You, you have Patreon. We don't even have a Patreon. We don't even have a Patreon. People can't no. even support us. Not that you would want to, but you can't. Uh, so This is our vanity project. Us, it really is. It is our vanity, our keep sane project. And hey, you know what? We got mentioned hey. on Criminal Minds. We got what yeah, we, we wanted got a out shout of shout out. <laughs> we got... Although, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. Do you realize in the world of profiling Criminal Minds... Profiling Criminal Minds, sorry, in the world of Criminal Minds, Profiling Criminal Minds is a true crime podcast. Oh, jeez. You hadn't thought about no, I that, guess had you? I have to mention that to Brent. Breen, <laughs> yeah, well, to Breen, yes. Breen. You, you should email <laughs> Breen fine. and say, you realize that... It just realized that in the world of that, we run a true we crime run podcast. We run A very popular true crime podcast. <laughs> All right. So um on that narcissism. Well, oh no, meta, know, meta, meta. Thanks so much. Thanks. Meta meta narcissistic. <laughs> uh, uh seriously though, thanks for watching and have yourselves a great evening. Good week. Mm. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.